Fired Up show starts right now. And hello, everybody. Happy Monday. Happy Martin Luther King Day. Uh, Welcome to the Fired Up podcast uh, hosted on WJMS Media and available uh, anywhere you get your podcasts from. This is Steve. I host each week. And as always, we're going to talk about uh, the political system and the ups and the downs here in the United States. Uh, We'll start off, as we always do, with an update on where we are with COVID-19. Right now, we sit at 65.6 million cases here in the U.S. 850,000 people have uh, died from the disease and 523 million people uh, have received at least one vaccination shot and uh, roughly uh, 63% of the adult population in this country uh, is fully vaccinated. We continue to move those needles forward, no pun intended, uh, and uh, we will continue to talk about it and push for it. Uh, But right now, I want to get into the subjects of today. Um, First and foremost, you know, it is uh, on the date this program uh, is being released for distribution, um, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, Uh, This year, January 17th, uh, celebrated here in the United States. And I want to talk a little bit about uh, the holiday and how it came to be and Dr. King uh, and kind of compare and contrast it with where we are right now. Uh, You know, it it is clear that uh, although Dr. King is most noted for his... uh, leading work in civil rights and uh, the use of peaceful protest in order to accomplish uh, equality uh, for the races. Um, He was, in fact, uh, engaged in uh, the politics of the day back in the 1960s and was a key player in many important political decisions that were made both at local levels, but also at the national level. Uh, He had frequent conversations with the President of the United States at the time, which was uh, Lyndon Johnson uh, at the the final stages, but all the way up from uh, Dwight Eisenhower through John F. Kennedy uh, to Lyndon Johnson. Um, He was, as as he's been recognized, uh, as a quote icon for democracy, um, you know, while still being a controversial figure, uh, he still was recognized as a leader in the nonviolent struggle for equality uh, for all people, um, and it there was this struggle that really led him to achieve some of his biggest landmark victories, um, including getting President uh, Johnson to sign the, uh, the Civil Rights Act of 1965 uh, over um, objections that the president held. The president really uh, was kind of dragged, kicking and screaming to the table to sign that piece of legislation because he realized that if he did not, that the level of unrest in the minority communities of this country Uh, would be uh, just uh, overwhelming. 
And, you know, as proof of that, if you look a few years later down the road at how the minority communities and and other communities as well responded uh, after the assassination of Dr. King, you could see why that that fear in in the eyes of President Johnson, you know, at that time um, in in uh, 1964 was. absolutely justified. Um, so, you know, what what we've learned uh, as we've looked through the lens of history at the Martin Luther King holiday and, you know, Dr. King in, in general, uh, and as we contrast it with where we are today, you know, after you know, four years of, you know, the the Trump administration and the hardships that have come with that and the COVID pandemic and the economic crisis and the jobs crisis and so on and so forth. There are a lot of parallels that can be drawn between today and, um, you know, late 1960s, uh, early 1970s America, where, you know, joblessness and uh, racial inequality and civil rights abuses were you know pretty much the norm. Uh, if you uh, Google the Civil Rights March 1963 and just look at the pictures, what you will see uh, really kind of explains what I'm talking about here. If you look at the signs that are being held by the protesters, you'll notice that it is not only for uh, racial equality, but it, they were protests about jobs, about creating more jobs and getting more people to work. Uh, it was about housing. Uh, it was about medical care. It was about all of the things that we're still talking about today. Uh, 50 years later, we still have many of the same issues uh, at the forefront that we had in 1968. Uh, we are still, you know, in, in sort of a medical crisis mode. And, and by that, I mean above and beyond what COVID has, has pushed us into. But, you know, we have some basic healthcare uh, deficiencies in this country that have remained unaddressed uh, for you know many decades. We have uh, a, a push going on to move us backward in the terms of you know women's reproductive health and you know, overall medical care uh, that look to push us back to you know the, the early 1960s before, the the road decision uh, you know sort of changed the landscape on that in this country uh, we have a lot of issues um, that apparently have been simmering under the surface waiting for an opportunity to be brought out into uh, the open space uh, and you know we, we have seen that that opportunity uh, has been made real uh, by you know pre- predominantly the conservative uh, party, the Republican Party, the right, uh, if you will, uh, over the last you know 30, 35 or 40 years. Um, we've seen an erosion of uh, voter protections. We've seen an increase in you know racial violence. We've seen an increase in discriminatory housing practices, discriminatory, uh, lending and financial practices. Uh, you know, we have we have seen many of the things we thought we had uh, addressed and legislated away 
circle back and come back to haunt us once again. And it was in the midst of that turmoil that Dr. King was uh, pushing and promoting and uh, informing and educating and motivating people on the issues of uh, civil rights and equal rights uh, and equal protections under the law and, and so forth that not only uh, served as sort of a, an underpinning of the unrest that was going on, but also in many regards kind of served as background music for the struggle overall. Um, there was a lot of uh, protests that were held. There were uh, many, many uh, speeches given by uh, many individuals. Uh, and, you know, there was generally a lot of conversation going on uh, in the, the middle 60s uh, about moving the country toward a, a better position in terms of the fair treating of all of its citizens, regardless of uh, their race, uh, their color, their creed. Uh, and it was in you know, this background that Dr. King's message uh, was gaining strength and resonating more and more with uh, multiple communities. Uh, if, if you do your research, you'll find that it was around this time that there were conversations that were being held between uh, Dr. King and Malcolm X, uh, who was, you know, a, as you, you may know or should know, uh, the leader of uh, one faction of the Nation of Islam, uh, very charismatic, very outspoken, uh, and very visible uh, public critic of the current administration and its treatment of uh, people of color uh, in that time. And uh, for many years, um, Dr. King and Malcolm X were kind of seen as uh, opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of uh, black civil rights in this country and what they came to realize was that more and more that they really were kind of fighting at uh, two fronts of a common struggle. Uh, so, you know, uh, again, as I say, amidst all of this, you know, upheaval and unrest and, and, and churn that was going on in the country, Martin Luther King continued his message of peace and nonviolence and that message was beginning to take broader hold uh, even outside of the black community. Uh, he had always held uh, you know, solid support from many aspects of the white community and particularly the, the white religious community. Uh, and uh, you know, that support continued to grow. And, in, you know, there are, are some people who have, you know, pushed forward a conspiracy theory that uh, that and his uh, closing ranks with Malcolm X served as one reason why uh, he was assassinated. You know, but, you know, we, we won't go down that rabbit hole on this broadcast. I really want to talk about the holiday and the celebration. Um, but, you know, in, in continuing kind of giving you some background on this. Um, you know, the, the idea was that the, the seeds were sown, uh, literally, uh, the, 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 after the four days after 
Dr. King was killed in Memphis, um, he his his national holiday was introduced by uh, Representative John Conyers, uh, a Democrat of Michigan. Uh, he introduced the legislation for a federal holiday uh, to celebrate the birthday of Dr. King. Um, the next year, uh, January 15, 1969, uh, you know, there were ceremonies that started to be held around various areas, including uh, launched by the King Center uh, in Atlanta. Uh, and over the course of the coming years, more and more of these um, celebrations were held and, you know, gained support and people began to talk about having a national federal holiday uh, in honor of Dr. Martin Luther King. Now, there were no holidays prior to that that celebrated, uh, you know, an African-American uh, and a non-politician. So, you know, this, this was groundbreaking in many, many regards. Uh, but after, you know, a number of tries, you know, as I said, it was introduced first in 1968. Uh, it was, you know, reintroduced um, pretty much annually uh, up and into the 1970s. Um, 1979, President Jimmy Carter uh, famously called on Congress to vote for the King Holiday Bill. Uh, the vote was scheduled, but not everyone was on board. The bill lost by five votes in the House of Representatives in November of 1979. And, you know, it, it continued in the struggle. Um, and one of the things that happened, you know, that has been credited with kind of breaking the logjam was the release of a very popular song by Stevie Wonder, uh, you know, uh, the happy birthday song, everybody has heard it. Uh, and that seemed to give a boost to the momentum that led to uh, President Lynn, I'm sorry, President uh, Ronald Reagan um, signed the bill marking the third Monday of January as Martin Luther King Jr. Day, uh, and that happened on November 3rd, 1983, uh, almost 20 years uh, to, to the day uh, after the, the death of Dr. King. Uh, his birthday was recognized as a holiday and was put into the Monday um, holiday celebration rules uh, that had been passed a few years earlier that moved a lot of the, the, the holidays all to occur either on the Friday or the Monday uh, on either side of a weekend just to, you know, uh, give additional benefit to working people. So, you know, it created basically three-day weekends on many of these holidays so that people could spend time with their families and, and recognize uh, and, and celebrate, etc. Um, so, you know, these uh, three federal holidays, Memorial Day, Veterans Day, and Washington's birthday, uh, would fall on Monday, according to the bill. It also recognized Columbus Day, uh, and then later on, years later, Veterans Day uh, was returned to uh, its original date of November 11th. Um, and, you know, 
we we move forward and now we have an annual uh, birthday celebration of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday. So, you know, happy birthday, Dr. King. If he were still alive, Dr. King would be 93 years old this year. So, again, uh, we celebrate uh, the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King. Um, wanted to talk a little bit, and we will do so. Uh, we'll take a short break and a little bit of music uh, to ponder. Think about you know, what the Martin Luther King holiday you know, really means. When we come back on the other side, we'll talk a little bit about that and a little bit more about uh, the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King. So we'll be right back after the break. Uh, this is Fired Up right here on WJMS Media. So as we mentioned, um, if we're thinking about the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King and what he stood for and uh, what his message means today, uh, this year, more so than, than many years in the past, we have a very, very clear uh, distinction that can be drawn. Um, and, you know, it, it's uh, hard to paint it more starkly than to look at the events of January 6th of last year and, you know, the celebration of the Dr. King birthday uh, or, or celebrating a man who stood for equality, equal rights, uh, peace and freedom. Uh, there's an article in uh, CNN I found online uh, yesterday and, you know, it talks about this very topic, you know, and, and it, it goes to say, you know, starting off saying it's an annual ritual on the birthday of the iconic civil rights leader. Pundits offer provocative interpretations of King to make him relevant for a contemporary audience. 
but these commentators won't have to work as hard this year to explain why King matters. Anyone who wants to remind Americans about the urgency of Dr. King's message can now cite, quite simply, January 6th, 2021. Uh, Obviously, that was when supporters of uh, former President Donald Trump stormed the U.S. Capitol and tried to block Congress's certification of the 2020 presidential election because they wrongly believed that Trump had won. You know, so as as we look at a comparison between uh, January 6th and January 15th, uh, you know, more than the fact that they are nine days apart, uh, they offer two very, very different views of what the U.S. stands for. You know, for for some people in this country, January 6th. Uh, 2021 is a, quote, 1776 moment, according to the article in CNN, uh, a great patriotic uprising. Uh, Another part of the country celebrates Dr. King's birthday on January 15th and, you know, celebrates his dream of a, quote, beloved community, a world which people of all identities are equal and included. Uh, so, you know, you can you can clearly see that, you know, these two concepts uh, closely aligned on the calendar uh, represent some very diametrically opposed uh, considerations for what this country is. Uh, the article raises, you know, an interesting point uh, in it. It cites something where it's, it poses the questions. You know, are we going to be a nation of we the people or we the white people? Uh, and, you know, it, it, it may be, you know, something that that some people, some of you out there may consider an absurd question. But if you look at the events of the last uh, year uh, and, you know, beyond back into 2020 and 2019, um, you know, and in, in, in a, a broader sense, look at the, the last four years, specifically in the last 20 years in general, and you can see where someone could draw the conclusion, looking at the United States from the outside, that, you know, arguably that this country has become a country of racial division and racial exclusion, uh, you know, as, as well as one of, you know, uh, uh, white supremacy or racial supremacy of one group over another. And, you know, that runs totally opposite to the message that Dr. King spent his life bringing forward. Um, you know, when you, when you look at the rallies that occurred, look at the uh, March on Washington that uh, came out for uh, in 1963 for the uh, you know peace, jobs, and freedom, uh, and heard Dr. King give his iconic uh, speech that included the "I Have a Dream" section, um, and you know he talked about in that speech uh, where he was talking to a a huge interracial peaceful crowd. Uh, in Washington, uh, talking about a dream that united, quote, all of God's children, 
black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Catholics and Protestants, and then contrast that with the crowd that rallied around uh, former President Donald Trump in the ellipse in 2020, where you know you had number one an overwhelmingly white crowd, uh, included members of white supremacist groups. Uh, there was a man there, and there were pictures of him in, in the media wearing a a T-shirt that said Camp Auschwitz. Uh, people who you know went on to erect a noose, a hangman's noose, on the Capitol grounds with the intention of finding and hanging Vice President Mike Pence. Um, you know, the the speech that Dr. King gave in 1964 or 1963, uh, where he spoke about his dream, uh, led to and, and energized the passage of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Uh, you know, I mentioned that earlier that you know, even though President Johnson at the time was not a huge advocate of this legislation, uh, he and many other of the, the leaders of the day who you know, were white uh, saw the handwriting on the wall, saw the way the sentiment of the country and the broader country, uh, meaning that there was a substantial amount of non-minority support for the message that Dr. King was bringing. Um, and, you know, that helped apply the pressure that was needed in order to get the Civil Rights Act uh, in 1964 passed. And then the following year, the 1965 Voting Rights Act, uh, which, you know, truly revolutionized the democracy of the United States uh, by making it more inclusive, uh, protected from uh, from from bad actors and you know bad tactics, and really uh, helped turn the tide of increasing to a significant extent the participation of minorities in the political machine uh, and governing of this country. And if you look over the last, you know, 10 years, 15 years, uh, you can see where uh, that machinery that was, was erected in 1964 and 1965 uh, has been in the process of being dismantled as we have, you know, entered the years of, you know, 2020, 2021, 2022, uh, and we see... Uh, the the most vigorous attack on voting rights and voting freedoms uh, since the the uh, Reconstruction era and the post Reconstruction era uh, in this country back in the late 1800s. So you know it it is a very serious thing that's going on here, and you know it it is you know clear that at no time is a message uh, like Dr. King's I Have a Dream uh, more needed or even, and, and I've, I've mentioned this in you know, past shows and you can go back and, and look it up, uh, where the, keep in mind that the segment of the speech we hear so often that talks about, you know, that starts with I Have a Dream is actually the last uh, 20 minutes 
of a, an almost 50-minute uh, speech, uh, the first part of which was a call for economic justice, which was another cornerstone and solid uh, plank of the movement that Dr. King led. Uh, and we've actually done, done shows on that, and uh, I will put a reference to it on the uh, website page uh, for you to, to read as well or, or hear as well. You know, so where Dr. King's speech uh, sort of applied the uh, political and public pressure on Congress and on the president to move forward with Voting Rights Act um, uh, and so forth, uh, President Trump's speech took the, the somewhat opposite tack of motivating a crowd to uh, go down to the, the Capitol building and basically uh, commit crime, you know, break in, uh, destroy property, deface property, um, you know, uh, threaten the lives of the sitting vice president uh, as well as the leaders of both the House and Senate. You know, and, and really just everything that is anti-American in terms of what we believe and what we think when we think about America and democracy and the beacon of light that we are supposed to be in the world. Uh, it's, it's clearly, um, you know, we've, we've come a, a long way um, down a, a, a dark tunnel, um, you know, but... You know, it, it is something that we have to to address and take account. Uh, we have to uh, assess and understand that when we contrast and compare uh, the two dates, we have to remember that Dr. King had a dream and Donald Trump had a mob. And, you know, think about and process that for a minute and and you'll you'll see where I'm where I'm going with that. Things are getting intense, using up my sixth sense. Thought you had us figured, I can't use me at your expense. They be on that pretense, we be on some defense. If you in a past tense, you could keep your two cents. I don't wanna be another target on a headless. All my people running around the city like some misfits. So I'm steady praying for my brothers like a wish list. Can I trust a soul? They gon' turn on you the quickest. So as I said, we have to think about what the message that we get from the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. Um, obviously, we get his message of peace and nonviolence. Uh, we get his message of equality for you know people of all races, all sexes, all you know political, uh, social, economic uh, persuasions. But Dr. King was more than that. Dr. King's message included a message of uh, empowering people uh, to, to get and be gainfully employed. Again, I refer you to the pictures. Uh, if you look up uh, March on Washington, the 1963 March on Washington, and look at the posters that were being carried, those reflected the concerns of the day in early to mid-1960s. 
compare and contrast that with what's being called for today in the the early to mid 2020s you know we are still battling the same battles we are still uh trying to hold the same demons at bay and the the fact that there are you know still people who would see you know one segment or several segments of the population held down and held back uh, placed into some form of economic servitude, uh, given you know second-class uh, status in terms of uh, the ability to find an affordable place to live, uh, looking at the attacks that are being made on our educational system, on the things that are being taught, um, you know it it is uh, amazing, and and I've I've done shows on this where you know we talked about that you know this this argument about critical race theory um i think if one were to pose the question to you know dr king uh today where he you know where he's still alive and i I don't put myself out there as a king scholar uh or you know a a any type of a deep thinker when it when it comes to how Dr. King might process a concept. But, you know, given what I have read of him, given, you know, his works, given what I know of the man, um, I think he would be part of the, the crowd that would come down on the side of being inclusive and being smart about it rather than you know dismissing it out of hand or uh accepting it in you know in whole cloth without questioning the underlying principles what i mean by that is uh you know if if you are someone who deals with a factual view of reality and a factual view of the history of this country you have to uh, come to the conclusion that there were, in fact, deficiencies built into the system against certain groups of people in this country, uh, particularly racial minorities, economic minorities, and residential, uh, you know, people, you know, who lived in far rural areas who you know didn't have access to the most modern educational systems and so on and so forth that these people received a a lesser amount of education or a less rounded amount of education than you know more affluent uh mainstream you know let let's let's be real you know white uh urban dwelling people they just have access to better resources and as a result of that their view of this country uh, is different in many many ways from the views of you know people in the the sections of country that we call the flyover areas uh, where you you fly over where you're going coast to coast Uh, people that live in rural communities people that live in the deep south you know, and it, it doesn't really matter uh, what their racial background is uh, because their economic status puts them in a, a uh, 
uh, lesser position than, you know, more affluent, the rich, you know, the the one percenters or the three percent or five percent of this country that earn the most money. Uh, That's that's where we are. And I think, you know, based on what I believe uh, in, in my studies personally of, you know, what Dr. King stood for uh, in his life, I think that would also be one of his areas of struggle where he would be bringing attention and pressure to the so-called economic divide that occurs in this country. And in fact, he spoke to that very subject in the first half of his speech at the March on Washington, where he was talking about that black people were coming to the Capitol because they were owed a check. They were promised reparations. They were promised to be made whole after the Civil War and Reconstruction. And they were coming because, in, in, in his words, that check had become due and was due to be paid. So, you know, it's, it's not a new discussion that there was economic disparities between segments of the population of this country in, you know, 1960 through 1968, uh, just as there are now in 2021, two and, and, you know, into the future, we are still suffering the same problems, the same uh, malaise, the same malignancies that we had in the 60s. The difference being that the advent of technology uh, makes the, the implementation of the, quote, pain, close quote, of those circumstances much quicker to be applied and much quicker to be felt. Uh, it is you know, a lot easier for an economic uh, injury to be imposed where all economic transactions are done electronically, uh, particularly if one side doesn't have a level playing field access to the electronic systems. Um, it is so much more devastating when so much of our information, so much of our personal information, our health information, our financial information, our economic uh, conditions, our status in this country is held in you know, electronic systems that are in the control of a very small percentage of people in this country. Uh, and, and that is something I think that you know, we, the people, that is the rest of the people out here, that you know, we need to be activists fighting against. We need to uh, be pushing to get you know, education on how these systems work. Uh, we need to be teaching our children how to handle their finances, how to handle their information more and better than they already know. And they know better on how to do it than, you know, many of their parents and grandparents, you know, and, and in some cases, great grandparents. So we need to be pushing the message of uh, economic, electronic, informational uh, inclusion as well as we push the message of voting inclusion and racial inclusion and gender inclusion and so forth. These are all topics that I believe would have been part of Dr. King's message where he's still alive today. Uh, I think he would be 
one of the leading uh, advocates for these type of, you know, wide spreading uh, changes to improve the understanding, uh, improve the knowledge and in increase the control that, you know, uh, people who were disenfranchised or impacted by various um, discriminatory practices in the past would have access to. So, you know, it's just something to, to give consideration to. One of the things we need to be doing, you know, a, as our, our action item, as our thing we need to take up and make part of our everyday practice is to improve our understanding of how our economic systems work. Uh, we need to understand what the impact of inflation is uh, more than just what it does to our grocery prices and to our gasoline prices. But what does it do to the fluidity and the liquidity of our economy? What does it do to the, the funds that we have you know, saved in the bank? What does it do to our paychecks in terms of what we bring home? Uh, and you know, what does it do to the bills that we have to pay? Does it increase them? Does it decrease them? Does it make them more of an urgent you know, thing that we have to address. We need to be better understanding of these issues and how they impact our lives. And then we need to take that new knowledge and we need to apply the principles we talk about, about communicating with our elected officials and giving them the instructions that they need in order to deal with that on our behalf. You know, it is, it is very clear that we are no longer in a time, and and this is this is beyond you know uh, a racial consideration. This is everybody. We are beyond a time where we can truly trust uh, you know people that we have elected and given this trust to um, to to carry out our best wishes. We've seen too often where and and you know. I hate to be a broken record on this, but I have said this on this show many, many, many times. There are issues that have overwhelming public support, both sides of the aisle, universal public support, 70, 75, 80 percent of the American people support an issue that the, the Congress you know, or elected leadership just votes 180 degrees in the opposite direction. They don't listen to what their constituents want. And that is uh, something we have to get changed in this country. That has to be a priority uh, as we move forward, uh, especially now as we come into the elections in the midterms. And then in two years, hence, we've got the national elections. Um, it is more than, you know, really who is uh, the more popular candidate. It is about who's going to get the job done. Who's going to get this job done, the way we need it to be done. So you know, um, we we need to rethink our strategy about who we are electing to office. Uh, we we need to get away from electing the popular candidate or the candidate that we've always voted, our go-to guy or go-to gal. Uh, we've got to move away from that. We need to identify and find the people who are out there who legitimately want to work for the constituents and want to get the job done. And we need to 
support them and elevate them and move them into office. And this is particularly true uh, at the local level. So, you know, the, the, I, w- I want to wrap the segment. I know we've been talking about you know, Martin Luther King Day and, and all of that, but you know, this too is, I think, an area where Dr. King would have been uh, offering his opinions, his advice, and his words uh, to help guide us to what we need to do in order to accomplish the goals we need to accomplish. And, and that is simply this. We need, you know, to, and, and to this, uh, I'm speaking to Democrats and Republicans because this operates on both sides of the aisle. Um, right now in this country, we have a huge problem with political districts and gerrymandering. And I know we talk about that, you know, the Republicans are gerrymandering their districts, you know, left, right and center. And they are. And because they have more districts to work with than the Democrats do, they are, you know, they are the larger target for us to aim at. However, Democrats, uh, you're doing it, too. And what we need to do is to get this process curtailed on both sides. We need to have, you know, uh, voting laws and voting controls and, you know, uh, elector laws and, and so forth that accurately reflect the populations in given areas. We need to find the ways and implement the ways that take partisanship out of the process. Uh, If that means that we have to vote laws into place to protect the uh, electoral process and elector controls in each individual states, then that's what we need to do uh, so that state parties can't just override the elected and and process-oriented or process-provided people who decide our elections with partisans who are going to vote, you know, a party line or a party candidate just because they're in the party. Uh, We need to make sure that our elections accurately reflect our wishes, the wishes of the people, the majority of the people. And if you happen to be a Republican living in a democratically blue state and, you know, your guy or your gal, you know, doesn't get elected, that doesn't mean you need to find a way to rig the system to to uh, to affect that. You need to just work harder, get more people, get your message out there, get the support you need and turn it over properly. Same thing on the Democrat side. You can whine and moan about how, you know, the Republicans are are fixing the system so that they'll stay in power forever. Well, guess what overrides that? Uh, More voters. Get your people out to the polls. Elect the people that you want by majorities that are clear. You know, if if you're talking about, you know, winning a bunch of races by 500 votes, yes, they're going to be challenged quite a lot. But if you've got races that are, you know, local races that are won by a thousand votes or 5,000 votes, those are a lot harder to challenge. You've got, you know, many more voices that uh, indicate the will of the people. So, you know, this is the midterm election year. We need to, and we're going to start the messaging. The, The records will start to play again, folks. Get out there, get registered, check the status of your voter registration, 
find your polling place, keep track of what happens with your polling place, realize that you may not have access to early voting uh, the way you did in, pri in prior elections, uh, and make your plans accordingly. Um, you know, we're going to have to, you know, be uh, voter smart, you know, this year and voter smart in 2024 uh, because there are people out there who are trying to rig the game against uh, the people. And I'm, I'm not talking either party, one or the other. I'm just saying in, in general terms, there are people out there who are trying to rig the game uh, against the wishes of the majority of the people. And we need to do everything we can to fight that. So, all right, we'll wrap it up there. Uh, everybody, I uh, hope you take some time out today and or, or every day, actually, and give some thought to you know the, the messages of Dr. Martin Luther King uh, beyond just the, the I have a dream speech. Um, read his letter from a Birmingham jail. Uh, you know, read some of his other writings, uh, read his conversations uh, or about his discussions with Malcolm X, uh, read his letters to the presidents of the United States, Eisenhower, Kennedy, uh, and, and so forth. Um, there is a wealth of learning that can be taken from the things that were said by a, a wise man uh, more than 50 years ago. So it's something we can still learn from today. All right, everyone. Everyone take care. Uh, remember, if you want to uh, interact with uh, the show, please send an email to firedupradio at yahoo.com. Uh, wherever you get your uh, podcasts from, uh, please make sure that you subscribe and set your notifications so that you know when additional uh, podcasts go out. Uh, spoiler alert, we will start putting out something to be on the lookout for um, that we are going to be doing some very short subjects. Uh, don't know what I'm going to call them yet, but I'm kind of leaning toward something like Fired Up Minutes, but we'll see. Uh, but anyway, just a little spoiler alert uh, as we make some changes, you know, not only with WJMS and what we do here, but also with our individual shows. So uh, we want to hear your feedback. Firedupradio at yahoo.com is the email address. Uh, please feel free to reach out. And until then, I look forward to having the chance to speak to you all again please feel free to download and share the podcast with your friends and family. Take care, everybody. Be safe, and I will talk to you soon. Mm -hmm.